Welcome to Hope Is Here, bringing hope to those struggling with life's difficult situations. Welcome to Hope Is Here. My name is Greg Horn. We are continuing our conversation with speaker and author Scott Harvey. He's got a new book out called Silence Kills, Communication Tactics to Speak with Confidence and Build Your Influence. And I think we all would like to improve our communication skills as individuals. And those of you in the workplace, uh, man, we see a lot of uh, communication errors or lack of communication. And so uh, this is a great book. I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of that. Uh, yesterday, uh, we talked uh, about some of the book and about silence itself. We're going to continue talking about today. But if you missed yesterday's book, or I'm sorry, yesterday's program about this wonderful book, I want to encourage you to go to our website, hopeisheretoday.org. That's hopeisheretoday.org. Check out that 14-minute uh, program. Well, Scott, we talked a lot about silence yesterday, some really powerful stuff there, but uh, you know, one of the questions i got to ask you, and nobody likes this, but it's just part of uh, you know, living, especially for us adults, but how, how do we have difficult conversations? You know, I think I'm a big fan of having difficult conversations, and I think we have to go into them and admit the elephant in the room and tell whoever we're going to talk to, this is going to be difficult. I'm going to say the wrong things. You're going to misinterpret some things. But I feel like on the other side of this is a healthier place for both of us. I think that's a great way to start a difficult conversation. Because if we don't talk about it, as we talked about yesterday, it feels like we don't care. So we're going to talk about whatever the issue is. We're going to work it out. And I think we just have to tell people, if I misspeak, if I say something that you take offense with, please let me know. Because that is not my heart. My heart here is to make you better. Maybe I'm talking to a team member who's not performing like we need him to do. I want you to be successful here. And here's the steps I see to making you successful. If, if you interpret that as offensive, please let me know because that's not my intent. I just want to make you better. I want to make us better as a team, all that kind of stuff. So I think just address that this is not going to be a super cool conversation, but I'm not coming at it to hurt you. I'm coming at it to help you and me be better at what it is we're doing. Well, I think that's so good. I was talking with somebody recently, and they were having a challenging situation with their son, and, uh, you know, he really didn't want to do something. But they, and I was sitting there talking, and I said, you know, why don't you say, you know, the reason I'm doing this is because I'm trying to help protect you. Mm-hmm. And just that one word, you know, mm-hmm. the word protective. You know what? I think he'll resonate with that. Right. You know? And so, uh, man, uh, words matter, don't they? They do. And I, and I tell people all the time, they're like, well, you know, it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. I'm like, it is. But the the flip side of that coin is if we don't have the conversation, we let them continue down this pathway that's causing harm to them or our business, we're going to eventually get to a point where we're going to let them go because they're not performing like we need them to do, where six months ago, we could have had a slightly uncomfortable conversation and set them up for success. Dave Ramsey says all the time, to be unclear is to be unkind. I tell people all the time, you, the kindest thing you can do is set clear expectations for your kids, for your team members, for your coworkers, for whatever. I'm just going to say this as clear as I can, and we're going to get through this. Because the alternative is just being unkind. Because it feels nice to avoid this topic. But I'm not setting them up for success. I'm actually setting them up for failure. So we've got to have these conversations. Good stuff there. All right. Uh, you talked about this uh, teeter-totter. <laughs> your, you wrote about it in your book. Uh, yeah. Share about that. Yeah, it's the most valuable thing I learned in hostage negotiator training. And it's something I use pretty much every day. In everybody's brain is a teeter-totter or a seesaw, depending upon where you grow up. It's a geographical thing on a playground, right? Seesaw, teeter-totter. 
So to me, it was a teeter-totter. And in everybody's brain is a teeter-totter. And on one end of this teeter-totter is logic and reason. And on the other opposite end is emotion. So if you visualize this teeter-totter, when emotion goes up, and I don't care what that emotion is. It could be fear, anger, frustration, stress, whatever, depression. When emotions go up, logic and reason go down every time. When emotions are high, we're not thinking logically and with reason. And we kind of know that in the back of our brain, but we don't realize it when it's going on. So what I tell people, when I got on the phone as a hostage negotiator, their teeter-totter was very imbalanced. Emotions were super high. So they would yell at me, they would cuss at me, they would threaten me, they would threaten my family. I let them do it. Because I need them to vent that out. I need them to process externally what's going on. I need them to keep talking because that's the best way to bring emotion down. If you've ever been really emotional, you know it takes a lot of energy to stay that way. And so our body wants to get to equilibrium. But here's the problem. When somebody comes to us, our spouse or a girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, really stressed at the end of the day, we have a tendency to spit out a very logical solution to their problem. And they blow right past it. Because physiologically, they're not capable of processing logic and reason when emotion is so high. Now, it may be an hour later that they come to us with our solution, claiming it as their own. Because subconsciously, they caught it. But they just couldn't process it until the emotion came down. Once the emotion came down, they're like, this might solve my problem. And if we're smart, we'll avoid the, uh, the, the chance to say, hey, that's what I said an hour ago if you'd listened to me, because they just couldn't physiologically hear it. The challenge is when somebody comes to us with super high emotions, we tend to get defensive and our teeter-totter imbalances. Mm-hmm. And we become emotional, and that will fuel them, and that will keep their teeter-totter, the emotions, high. So as the person on the phone, as the hostage negotiator, would they would yell at me and curse me, if I let them, if I gave them minimal encouragers and things like that, emotions would start coming down and logic and reason would start to enter back into the conversation. So when somebody's stressed, when somebody's angry, the best bet is to keep them talking. Ask them open-ended questions. Give them minimal encouragers. Nod your head. Smile. Say things like, "Mm mm-hmm, okay, why is that? That's one of my favorite questions. Why is that? Because that kicks them into a higher level of thinking that doesn't allow for a lot of emotion. So keep them talking. Allow their teeter-totter to rebalance a little bit, and you can have a much more productive conversation. My issue with policing today is we spend, and I did it too, Too much time with logic and reason super high and emotion is low. It's the very Joe Friday, just the facts, ma'am, and it makes us feel uncaring and like we lack compassion. Now, that's a really good way to make good decisions under stress, but it's a really bad way to live a life. We need to remember if we're in high-stress occupations that emotions do play a part in the everyday life, and we have to make decisions based on both. You can't have one side of your teeter-totter super high all the time and expect to be productive in the world today. It takes logic and reason and emotion in every situation. Good, good stuff right there. Talk about uh, just the importance of uh, building rapport. I tell people all the time, we do business at the speed of rapport. I only do business with people I like, know, and trust. I use Apple as an example. I'm an Apple fan. If Apple makes a product, I'm going to buy it. Because I can't tell you the times, Greg, I've gone into the store to buy a new computer or something thinking I need this model. And I tell them that, and the employee will look at me and they go, what do you do? And I tell them everything that I do for a living. 
Like if you were doing video editing, photo editing or something, I would suggest you get the model you came in for. Because you do something different, I suggest you get a cheaper, less expensive model. Like they talk me out of spending money with them. And every time I call tech support, they solve my problems. I like, know and trust this company. So I will actually pay them more for their products compared to a PC because I have a rapport with them. If we can develop that with our team members, with our employees, with our customers, they'll give us a lot of grace when we mess up. And so, and we're going to, nobody's perfect. We're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to act the wrong way. But if we have rapport, that's the bridge that will support some of these poor choices. And so we've got to find ways to build rapport with our team, with our customers, with our clients. And that usually looks like conversations. Well, I like how how you laid out the book. I was going to ask if you'd share a little bit about that. You 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 broke it down into three phases. Uh, talk talk about that. The, the three phases that you broke it in there. Yeah, we've got you know we've got the problem uh, outlined in the beginning of the book because this is the what's in it for me tech, technique. Like I'm going to read this book. Tell me why. That's the problem, and you have to outline the problem, and then you start looking at the solution. How do we solve the problem that you're laying out in this book? How do we become better communicators? Why do we need to have these conversations is the first part. And then how do we have them is the solution. Well, then we move into the tactics. Give me practical takeaways. How can I have these conversations with my team members? What can I do? And then at the end is the debrief. Because in police work, in a lot of high-stress occupations, you plan and then you actually do it. And it never works out exactly like you planned. And so the debrief is super important. What did we learn for next time? Because we're going to come across these conversations and these situations more than once. And if you handled it great, perfect. The debrief will tell you that. If you didn't, then the debrief is going to say, what would we change next time? What did we learn based on today? And sometimes that looks like going back to your team and saying, hey, we did a great job with A, B, and C. I dropped the ball on D. And I've made a note to fix that for next time. You guys killed it. I'm going to do a better job with this. And the debrief helps us kind of understand that and prepare better for next time. Well, I always kind of tell people it's interesting, you know, that uh, proportionally God gave us two ears and one mouth, so maybe we should listen twice as much as we speak. I love in your book there that uh, you've got a section just on listening. Talk about the importance of listening. Man, listening is a superpower. Whenever we had a opening on the hostage negotiation team, we would always have officers apply, and some of them would say, well, I'm a great talker. Like, I can talk you into doing things. I'm like, that's good, but that's not really how you get people to do things. I tell people that I train all the time, I've never talked somebody into doing what I need them to do, but I have listened them into doing what I need them to do. Because once I hear from you what your problems are, what your frustrations are, what's going on, then I know how best to come at this because I can come at it in a way that allows you to solve your own problems. And once I do that, then you're going to do what I need you to do. From a hostile negotiation standpoint, I need you to come out safe. I need the people inside to be safe, and I need my officers to be safe. And once I get you to a point where you realize there is a way you can come out safe, you'll start doing that because you realize that's in your best interest. Because I've talked about the type of person you are, how you solve problems, all of those things I've learned in our hours-long conversation, I phrase it to you in a way that makes sense to you. So I can solve all the problems in the world, but if I don't solve your problem, Greg, you're not going to trust me. 
And so the only way I can solve your problem is if I have listened, if I have asked appropriate questions and given you time to talk. And if you're not talking to me, it's probably because my questions were bad. When I was teaching D.A.R.E. classes all the time, I would ask a question and they would answer. It's very much a conversation as we're talking. Sometimes I would ask a question and even the really gifted kids in the room would look at me like a German shepherd, you know, tilt their head and kind of look at me funny. And I go back in my brain and I replay that question and I tell the kids, that was a terrible question. Let me ask a different one. And when I ask it a different way, they come at me with with the information that I need from them. So asking good questions, if you're not getting the response you want, it's probably not your team. It's probably your questions. Mm-hmm. When I picked up my teenagers after school, how was school? Fine. What'd you do? Nothing. Those are crappy questions. Better questions. What's the most exciting thing that happened today? What surprised you about today? Uh, what was the worst part of your day? Those are things you can't say fine to. So as you're listening to your team members, to your customers, Ask better questions, you'll get better answers, and then you'll be better equipped to solve their problems. You will listen them into being a client or a customer of yours. Wow, such good stuff. Unfortunately, uh, we are out of time, but uh, I want to really, really encourage you to copy this book, Silence Kills. Uh, our guest has been author and speaker Scott Harvey. I will ask you quickly, uh, Scott, what is the best way to get a copy of this book? You can pre-order wherever books are sold. It launches April 18th to the world, so that's when it'll ship. If you're listening to this after that, anywhere books are sold, you can get it. You can also go to silencekillsbook.com. There's a promo video on there. There's all kinds of resources on there that'll tell you a little bit about the book. And you can order it through there as well. just depends on where you want to get your books. All right. I also want to encourage you to check out his website, speakingofharvey.com. That's speakingofharvey.com. For Scott Harvey, I'm Greg Horn. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of Silence Kills. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow on Hope Is Here. Thank you for listening to Hope Is Here podcast. To listen to one of our previous programs or to make a tax-deductible donation, please go to our website, hopeishere.today. That's hopeishere.today. If you have been blessed by Hope Is Here, would you consider making a donation to help this ministry continue to reach thousands in Central Kentucky every day? It's simple and safe. Go to our website at hopeishere.today where you can make a safe and secure online donation or you can find our address to mail a check. All donations are tax deductible and they are greatly appreciated. Please make your donation today at hopeishere.today. Again, that's hopeishere.today. Dot today.